Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a fun show. We, re, re, we are going to react here to a lot of the top bowl games that we've seen. Over the last week, we had, the, obviously, the New Year's Eve day games. We had the New Year's Day games. We had the college football playoff over the weekend. So a lot of football to react to. We're going to start things off at the top with Saturday scouting and our friend Ben Fennell, fresh off his trip back from the Citrus Bowl, Alabama versus Michigan. We'll talk about that game, as well as what we saw from the Peach Bowl, LSU versus Oklahoma. Then Clemson, Ohio State, the Fiesta Bowl. ton to talk about with those games. And then we're going to welcome in Lance Zerline, friend of the show here uh, on Mr. Relevant from NFL Network, NFL.com. Lance does a great job evaluating players on a year-round basis. We'll catch up with him uh, and get some players that he's really high on at this early stage of the process. As always, we'll catch up with Tony Pauline in Draft Buzz. We'll talk about some of the players that caught his eye over the last few days. And then we'll answer some questions from you at home. Before we get into the rest of the show, again, the best way to support us. This is the we're starting to get into draft season now. Obviously, not for Eagles fans all the way yet, but for two thirds of the NFL, it is officially draft season. So, if you want to just throw us a little bit extra love, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you leave a comment with a question uh, in the comment, we'll answer it here on the show in our draft mailbag segment. But things are going to start picking up here uh, in a big way here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. So. Give us some love. We really, really appreciate it here as we start the 2020 uh, calendar year. All right, let's get things going here at the top. Let's start with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Back for another edition, the final, I guess, really edition of Saturday Scouting uh, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, our friend Ben Fennell. Uh, you did your final game, man. The Citrus Bowl in the books. Yeah. How's end it feel? Of, end of the marathon of the college football season. Yeah. 16 weeks on the road. That's right. But Citrus Bowl is fun. Alabama, Michigan, two nope. historic franchises. And- yeah. We talked about last week is that, you know, out of the uh, non-playoff games, you would say that this game probably had the most talent. I mean, you you could argue the Rose Bowl with Wisconsin and Oregon, which turned out to be an, an excellent game as well. But uh, no, you guys had, had a ton of talent on the field. Excited to kind of dig into this. Who, who gets your game ball coming out of this game? So game ball, let's go Jerry Judy. Easy uh, one. Career yeah. high, 206 receiving yards and uh, winning at all three levels of the uh, of the defense. Yards after catch, the intermediate stuff, the deep game. That's uh, obviously a pretty easy one. We saw it from the very first play. Yeah. Uh, opening play, let's just make that my one play takeaway. All right. Really interesting personnel from Alabama. So they go 12 personnel that gets Michigan in base, little run action, but they go twins right two tight ends to the left. Okay. Michigan doesn't play corners over. over. Hmm. So that's an outside linebacker over Jerry Judy in the slot who is interested in the run, a little run action, gets that outside linebacker to cheat up, which means that's Jerry Judy right up onto the safety. One little nod move, and he was uh, pretty much gone on the post. Was the linebacker Hudson? Uh, no, the linebacker was the Glasgow brother. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yep. the kid with the hair. Yep. He kind of looks like a Chase Winovich type of player. There you go. Um, but he's that halfway player. Yep. He's not in man coverage on Judy, but just the fact you're in 12 personnel, they're in base, they don't play corners over, you're probably going to get some sort of zone coverage, little run action, sucks up the outside linebacker, Judy right up on the free safety. 
I mean, I got to think luck. that that was yeah. talked about like for weeks leading up to this game. Is all right, this is going to be our number one play. We're going to come out. We know how they're going to defend this. Mm-hmm. They got exactly what they wanted, and they go. I'm not uh, even sure who the free safety was on the play. It might have been Medalus, who's okay. a, who's a good, pretty rangy player. Right. But you get Jerry Judy running up on you with 15 yards of steam. Good luck. Yeah, no, no matter no matter how elite of a free safety you are. Uh, who's the off the bus guy? Who's the guy that stood out most in, from an in person, from a physical standpoint? Well, let's just go Najee Harris. Uh, okay. Ends up with 130 yards rushing. Did a lot of that in the final two drives and putting the game away. Uh, but he's just a big, imposing running back. He doesn't look like a running back. He kind of fits in with the receiver group. He's not so much a Bo Scarborough type of back where he's a burly, thick guy. Right. He's really kind of upright and skinny. So he looks like Jerry Judy, like just in warm-ups and a T-shirt and, and shorts. Mm. He looks 6'2", 195 pounds. Now Najee Harris is more like 215. Sure. But as far as body type, really broad, kind of awkward type running back, but a really interesting player, a productive player. Yep. He runs much harder than you would think his body type would suggest. Yep. Um, kind of that Latavius Murray okay. type of upright, yeah, long, long leg, you know, uh, Kind of high-hipped type of running back. Yeah, no, he's. Uh, I mean, he's a big physical. I have yeah. not studied him yet. Uh, we'll see if he. I kind of just sounded out the Latavius Murray in my head as I was that talking about him. But no, I could see yeah, that. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, who's the guy that you would say is the down-the-road freak show? I'm sure there were a handful in this game. Oh, this game's got tons of five stars out of yeah. nowhere, and I introduced myself to one uh, Michigan freshman receiver, Giles Jackson. Giles Jackson, who okay, they told us anytime he's on the field. All points bulletin. Okay. He's probably getting the ball or some sort of gadget play to him. Okay. First play of the game in the backfield angle route. Later in the game, really cool backfield vertical concept where he's offset, uh, closed formation side, and they run a post run action to him, and he just keeps going up the sideline, almost like a jet wheel concept that I keep talking to you about. Interesting. uh, That's taken off in football. So run action to him, and he just kept going and up the sideline. So it had post. So he lined he lined up to the left of the quarterback, yes. closed formation exactly. to the right. Yep. Okay, got it. Nice. So it has post wheel principles. Yep. And also jet wheel principles in that you have a run action in horizontal run action, and then he leaks up vertically. Really does, cool concept. Does he line up in the slot outside out wide? Because he said he's, he's a, a receiver. He's, right? he's five eight hundred eighty pounds. Got so he's it. positionless okay. at okay. this point. Got it. So that's why when he's on the field, it's right. probably going to him. Interesting. Because you have to really manufacture his touches. True freshman. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Name uh, certainly keep an eye. Giles Jackson. He's listed 5'9", 188. So yeah. that just gives you a sense on the type of player that he is. All right, file that one uh, yeah. File that one away. So uh, we talked about a bunch of players coming into this game. We yep. knew a couple didn't play. Terrell Lewis, Trevon Diggs. Um, did, are, were any other players that stood out? You know, there's Xavier McKinney, Henry Ruggs, <clears throat> J- Jedrick Wills, uh, Raekwon Davis, Michigan side, Shea Patterson, uh, Josh Uche. I mean, there's there's players uh, up and down both these rosters. Who who else kind of caught Dude, your I eye? I was really impressed with Shea Patterson. Really? And I saw Shea earlier in the year against Illinois, and he's such an up-and-down player. I don't really know what to make of him as a pro prospect. I thought this game, in combination with the Senior Bowl, would say a lot about him in his trajectory into the NFL. Yeah. I know he has tape at Ole Miss. I know he's played a lot of football, and people say, we know who he is. He's played a lot of games. Right. But he's shown us some good things, and he's shown us some bad things. He did absolutely enough in this game to beat Alabama. And when I look at this Michigan team, really good offensive line, creative run game, all sorts of misdirection and gap scheme runs with guys crossing face and split zone action and pulling guards. And I really like their offensive line. Ben Bredesen at left guard, Cesar Ruiz at center, Michael, uh, what's his last name? 
Owenu at yep. right guard. He's going to the Shrine game. Yep, who's 6'3", 340, a massive a player. Dude. Doesn't yeah, get a lot him. of attention with Runyon and the Cesar Ruiz being a uh, a highly recruited player. But that offensive line and that stable of running backs, when I look at this Michigan offense, what's their problem? And mm. this game particularly, you just went compl- – or you, you left that game so disappointed in the receiving core. Mm. And they obviously didn't have their studs in Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Where but they are they at? Uh, I think Tariq Black is It's a transfer injured. portal, right? Yeah, one of them's in the transfer. I think one of them uh, didn't play. He was dinged up. But okay. they have Nico Collins. They have Ronnie Bell. They have talent. These guys just weren't making enough plays on the ball. They had drops. They had gator arms. They weren't separating. And that was one of our issues going into the Illinois game in mm-hmm. that we felt that there were robots on tape. When it called for a, a post and breaking at 12 yards, if that corner was sitting right there, he ran right into him. Mm. And there was just no fluidity in their game, and you just haven't seen the development in these receivers. And I thought this snapshot in particular, Shea Patterson did enough. They ran the ball well. The receiving core just didn't feel like did mm. their part and helped out Shea Patterson, especially when he put the ball in some places for him. I, th- I feel like the narrative on Shea Patterson has kind of turned a little bit. You know, uh, Jim Nagy, the, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, mentioned when they announced him for the game, Shea Patterson, that you know he played his way in because of how he played on the back end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I actually went back. I've studied a few of those games looking at early in the season, then how he looked late. Yeah, and you saw, you see, look, the tools are all there. I mean, he's an yeah. athletic kid. He's twitchy. He's got a twitchy release, strong arm. The arm talent's there. The poise in the pocket and some of the mental processing things are some of the areas I'd like to see him improve. But physically, I mean, there's a lot there. It's very similar to the kid from Auburn last year, Jared Stidham, yes, yeah. uh, where there's a lot there that you can mold. You just got to get him going the right direction. So when I talk about these kind of mid-round project quarterbacks, I just throw a bunch of names in just to sort okay. through. And it's you have to put them on the same trajectory as, you know, a, a Cody Kessler. How do you okay. feel about Shea versus Cody Kessler? Right. How do you feel about Shea versus Will Greer last year, who I think right. was a third round pick to the Panthers? Yep. I think Shea has a little bit more bit more mobility to his game, Definitely. a little bit more dynamic of an athlete. He's got just of a strong arm. I mean, Will Greer was a, a third round pick. Kyle Allen, yep. highly recruited high school player. His college career was pretty turbulent. Not that one. Two schools, mm-hmm. just like Shea Patterson, two schools. Yep. A lot of mobility into his game. Played some nice games with the Carolina Panthers this year, and everyone's like, who's Kyle Allen? This kid was a highly talented high recruit. school kid with a lot of talent. Is that Shea Patterson? Yeah. That's- and that's a kind of trajectory I see in that, you hmm. know what, he's got a lot of tools. He might be a second, third quarterback on somebody's team heading into next year, and before you know it, Maybe an injury, maybe a little bit of inconsistent play, and he's a guy that might be able to, you know, uh, to start a couple games for somebody. Yeah, give somebody a spark. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be interesting to see with Shea Patterson because yeah. they certainly started mm-hmm. off up high and then kind of fell off, and nobody really had a lot of faith in yeah. him, but he's starting to get a little bit of buzz. But uh, really quick, stretch. just to round out some notes on Michigan here, okay. uh, free safety Josh Medalis. Okay. I said uh, he might have been the one at the post player giving up the touchdown to Jerry Judy. Made a bunch of big hits coming down in the run game, yep. which isn't his MO. He's more of a back-end player. Put his face into some running backs and actually stood up Najee Harris a couple times. I was really impressed. Lavert Hill, a couple impressive plays, a couple boneheaded plays. Gave up the touchdown to Devontae Smith down the field. More of a catch point play. Devontae Mm. stacked him and he couldn't make a play on the ball. Really clever play. That's a knock on him, right? Yes. Uh, he's a small player. Yep. Now, Devontae Smith isn't an opposing of receiver, course. you know, that's going to beast him at the catch point, but he did. Uh, Lavert Hill, one of the more uh, highly touted press corners in the country, really nice playing cover two in this game. Mm. Let his outside receiver go, got his eyes immediately to the outbreaking route of number two and crushed Henry Ruggs. Nice. Not the play that Ruggs got hurt on. Okay. 
um, which was unfortunate to see. That was down the field, kind of lost it tracking and just lost the ball. It kind of came into his hip rib area and landed on the ball. So it might come down with uh, maybe a, a broken Bruce rib, a broken maybe rib. A, you know a, he just got the wind knocked out of him, but definitely landed on the ball and all sorts of things can happen there with your hip, your ribs, your lungs, things like that. Yep. Could be serious, could not be serious. So I uh, hope he's doing okay. Sure. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, these playoff games because yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot that we were able to take in on Saturday. We'll start with the Peach Bowl. I think both of these games... I think kind of went as you and I expected them to go. Yeah. We we didn't expect that this one would be close. Uh, and I don't I don't know what else we could say about Joe Burrow at this point, man. Like 493 yards, seven touchdowns, first half. Like what else can we say? I mean, he had a bunch of big time throws in this game. He's executing at an extremely high level. We saw all of the things that we've you know glowed about this kid all season long. We saw it in this game. And I I knew how this game was going to go off the third play of the game. Yeah. Right. And I looked at my buddy I was watching the game with and said, Oklahoma's not pressing these receivers. Yep. Good right. luck. Yep. Here we go. Because you let Justin Jefferson get free access, Jamar Chase free access. Good luck out there. Yep. And it was almost like I saw that and said, I just sat back and said, here we go. And yeah. Joe Burrow lit him up. Justin Jefferson lit him up. And they couldn't do a thing to him. And we ranked these four teams. Yep. And Oklahoma collectively, pass rush, yep. back-end coverage, not a whole lot of name power. Kenneth Murray, really nice player. But when you're in that second level of the defense and you're playing an LSU team that's just throwing the ball over the place. Not much you can do. He's kind of taken out of his game. Yeah. He's not a pure pass rusher. And if he's not a guy that's going to sit there and QB spy for you when Burrow leaves the pocket, which he didn't have to a whole lot. You didn't see a whole lot of Kenneth Murray. You didn't see a whole lot of Neville Gallimore. Yep. You don't see a whole lot of name power on that back end. I think the Motley kid got carved up a couple times. So They went after Broyles big time. Yeah, Broyles as well. Yep. And, um, but I just think the defensive scheme from these Big 12 teams doesn't do them any favor unless you're a, a Texas that will play some two-man on you. You think Alabama would have given LSU a better fight? Would that have been a better game? Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. Um, I had the discussion on Twitter, and I got some. Uh, did Alabama give LSU back. the yeah. best? I mean, it was the best game that we've seen. No all question. Season, all, all I thought that was the best competition so far, and there were a lot of plays that I felt like could go either way. Yep. You know, Trayvon Diggs getting beat at the catch point. He makes that half the time, and Jamar Chase probably makes that catch half yep. the time, or whoever it was, Terrence uh, Marshall or whoever. I think next year when we're talking like late in the regular season. I'm gonna fa- I'm gonna try and not limit myself to say oh well you know the conference champion if they if they win the Pac-12 like they're gonna be in the playoff like and I hope that the committee kind of looks at it that way without expanding the playoff to eight teams like let's like not let's worry about getting the four best teams in forget the 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 conference championship stuff like I want the four best teams in not the four best resumes I want the four best teams in so these playoff games are good because honestly if you look at the first round playoff games over the last you know four or five years. They, at least one of them has been a clunker every single time because right. I feel like we try to shoehorn a, a team in instead of saying, you know what, this team, maybe they have two losses to this team's one and that one lost team won their their conference, but this team's a better team. But just think of how much harder that conversation would have been. I know. What if Oklahoma went undefeated? I know. Which they were very close to. Who, yeah. who beat them? Kansas State? Kansas State beat them. Which, they also were very close to like going to have three losses too. And, you know, that's true as well. Impressive. Yeah. Like, um, but I just look at that, like Oklahoma easily, they probably wouldn't have been number one because LSU is pretty impressive. Sure. But there's no way you could have said, I know you're undefeated, but you're Big 12. You don't yep. really play anybody. We're not going to put you in. I feel like Oklahoma would have, you know, burnt the country on fire, you mm-hmm. know, uh, or burnt the country down. The one guy that did show up for Oklahoma, C.D. Lamb, made a couple of really nice catches, especially yep. early on. Uh, more of the same from him. Four catches, 119 yards. No question. Uh, the Blitnikoff winner, Jamar Chase, two catches, 61 yards. 
the guy that was just lighting up my mentions in terms of fans saying, what can you tell me about this guy? What can you tell me about this guy is Justin Jefferson. And I, I deferred people to you. Uh, you made the comparison to Keenan Allen. Justin Jefferson finishes this game 14 for 227, four touchdowns. Uh, tell us about Justin Since Jefferson. I said that about two months ago at this point, he's done nothing but... But look like know, Keelan Allen. <laughs> no, no question. And body type-wise, I think they're slot players, right. but not in the short, speedy you know, body type, and they're not in this oversized kind of big slot role. Yep. They're long, they're lean, they're 6'2", 6'3", right about 200 pounds, all sorts of releases, gets in and out of breaks really well deceptive play strength. I think he's much stronger with the ball in his hands, much stronger at the catch point than people give him credit for. And obviously 14 catches, 227, four touchdowns. That was obviously the icing on the cake and yep. letting him know he was the real deal. I don't remember who it was. It might have been, I don't know if it was McShay, but somebody had him in their first round. I was going to ask you. Mid first round. Do you feel like he's in that discussion? It's really tough this year with the receiving yeah. group and the whole philosophical approach to deep positional groups right in that if sometimes if you're too deep you get weighted on yeah. because let's go get the other groups that there isn't that depth and on day two yep if they don't see a whole lot of edge rushers on day two or tackle depth or interior d line looks to be a little lacking this year they might get bumped up that means these receivers like last year there might be a run on day two so i think he's a first round talent yep but in combination with a very deep receiving group he might get pushed to day two. I feel like the guys that are going to go day one at receiver in this class are going to be the freak show guys that show up either from the combine. And there's going like, to be a couple that leapfrog their way through the uh, Henry Ruggs through runs the four two five. He comes out and runs four two five, or Jalen Rieger runs four two nine. I think they all of a sudden they get a bump. If Lavisca Chenault at two hundred twenty five pounds runs four three eight. That's good. He's going to get Which a bump. He's sitting there right at like five six on people's boards on right. the receiver rankings. Yep. He runs four threes. That changes things. Oh, whoa, 220, gadget player. Look at Debo Samuel. Let's make him yeah. number two. He's worthy taking the first round. If you're a day two player, that's not a knock. No, of course it's, not. Look at Michael Thomas. You know, he just broke look the receptions record. Some of the best receivers in the league right now are getting drafted second round. No question. Yeah. And I don't think that's a, uh, a knock. These guys ripping off their wires and getting mad at the back end of the round one because right. you wanted to go to the draft and you're sitting in the green room looking like a goon. Enjoy the moment, you know, and don't get so stressed about where you're picked. And I know there's some money changing hands with your pecking order sure. in day one versus day two. And You make it up um, on the second contract. No question. No question. And um, Goon is an underrated word, by the way. Oh, great word. Yeah, yeah. that's underrated. All right, let's get to the Fiesta Bowl because this one was, I mean, this like lived up to the hype. Yeah. It was such a fun game. And, you know, I'm going to gloat later with Tony because uh, Tony picked Ohio State. I picked Clemson. Um but this went about as I expected because as we talked about when we previewed the game a couple of weeks ago, we kind of felt that Ohio State is a more talented roster. But I just, to me, like I couldn't get past Dabo and Trevor Lawrence. And to me, like Trevor Lawrence, this was the game like when, you know, next year when he's in the draft, people are going to be pointing back to this game and saying like, look what he did when all the cards were stacked against him. That yeah. Ohio State defense balled out all three levels. They shut down the two receivers, uh, you know, and both guys were banged up with T. Higgins and Justin Ross. Travis Etienne could not get going on the ground. This game was on Trevor Lawrence, and he came through with some big time plays with his arm and with his obviously with his legs. Yeah, no question. I mean, hundred yards rushing. That, that we didn't, no one knew he had that in him that right. long run. And it's really touchdown. interesting to have Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence in the national championship. Yeah, likely the number one pick this year. Likely the number one pick next year. Yep. In two dynamic quarterbacks, find me a game of two more exciting. Div yeah, obviously. 
NFL prospect quarterbacks that have played each other. It's gonna, I mean, I think the comparison people will say will be Lamar Jackson and uh, Deshaun Watson when they play, but that right, was not yeah. for national title. Right. Like, that was regular season ACC. Yeah. Um, and the expectations in that game, I don't think were as no, high. Yes. Um, obviously, Lamar being the Heisman winner and stuff, yep. they, they knew what he had, but... These two are everything you want from NFL quarterbacks in that they have functional mobility, yep. but they're not solely reliant on mobility. They don't live out of structure. No but question. They can operate out and of that's everything you want from NFL quarterbacks. And these two guys, their ability to move inside the pocket, outside the pocket. Obviously, Joe Burrow's arm strength isn't where Trevor Lawrence uh, is at the moment. So yeah. I would put Trevor Lawrence just a shade above. But Joe Burrow's poise and movement in the pockets as elite as any quarterback I've studied in the last 10 years, and that's including Andrew Luck, who his yep. tape at Stanford was very much like a prodigy uh, playing inside the pocket. So. Uh, I'm excited to study Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, this could, this will be May, yeah. June. So but a big game from a lot of Ohio State players that no, I think no put, put the stamp on who they are as prospects. Malik Harrison, Jeffrey Okuda. J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins, K.J. Hill, yep. who's kind of his name has gotten lost in this receiver no class, who's yeah. I think just as dynamic as these Alabama kids and some of these speedsters in the Big 12. So I'm glad he was able to um, make a couple of big plays as well. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins to me showed more juice in this game the running back from Ohio State mm-hmm. than I thought that he had. You know, yep. we saw that long run, what was it, 68 yards uh, on the second drive of the game um, that goes for a touchdown, puts them up 10 nothing. I didn't really know he had that. Now the big knock will be he had two big drops for them in the red zone. Uh, red zone defense was huge for Clemson. They kept mm-hmm. them out of the end zone a number of times. That kept the game closer than it probably should have been. Um, and Dobbins, and again, he was banged up. He, was, he had a, a bum wheel. Uh, that ankle injury was certainly hurting him. He might have busted off a long touchdown later in the game had it not been for that ankle. Uh, got tripped up late. But uh, Dobbins, I thought, was very, very impressive. And as controversial as the targeting was. Yes. And That's I don't the get, rule to me. I don't get emotional about that. If you want to eject him, not eject him. Yep. Yeah. Get him in the head, whatever. We could talk about quarterback lowering his yep. head and stuff like that. But the trickle effect of the personnel has not been talked about enough. No. Ohio State. You've been all over this. Ohio State is a team that does not substitute. Yep. Because of these corners. Because Okuda is a corner that's the size of a safety. Because Sean Wade is a cornerback playing in the slot that's the size of a safety. Yep. So you don't need to go sub because you have corners that could survive in the run game. And you have linebackers that are hybrid, like Pete Warner and uh, Tough Borland and Malik Harrison. It was a really yeah. interesting combination of uh, skill sets there. But with Sean Wade having to come off the field, there was a trickle effect in the continuity of a team that doesn't substitute a whole lot, I think really kind of hurt them uh, down the stretch of the game. They went they went after the new kid exactly. uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Immediately. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he did give up some big plays. I thought he rounded out a little bit later. Like I said, uh, the Clemson receivers, they – didn't get a lot like offensively, like they made, you know, Trevor Lawrence made a couple throws and mm-hmm. we saw the, you know, big catch from Higgins late and stuff like that. You know, you know the, the senior uh, Overton made a couple big plays, but outside of that, like they could not get the, the big plays came from Travis Etienne in the passing game. Right. Um, the, obviously we all know that the jump pass off the play action uh, quarterback run, which was an awesome play mm-hmm. to me. I thought, I think we look at Ohio state and we say, all right, they play. They came into this game, especially after the receivers got banged up. They played a ton of single high man. They were going to play man coverage, and to me, that's why we saw a lot of quarterback runs from Trevor Lawrence. You know, man coverage. Everybody's turning their back to the quarterback. He's able to take off and take advantage of that. Um, but they did a great job getting ETN in space and made some big plays in the passing game. Yeah, I really want to see how Clemson thinks they're going to attack LSU's defense. <laughs> I know. 
you know, is it an ETN game and trying to get them isolated against, you know, LSU's linebackers yep. who don't excel in coverage? Their defense is not as good as Ohio State's. No. Like they're, they're not going to face the same uh, They have some good cover corners and obviously Stingley and yep. Fulton and, you know, Kerry Vincent. But if Clemson starts to put their third, fourth, even fifth receivers on the field, yep. Clemson or LSU doesn't have that type of depth in the, the, the defensive back room. So if we start to hear the names like Frank Ladson and Joseph Nada, yep. who are exciting five-star freshman receivers – or even an Amari Rogers. Yep. This might not be a T. Higgins, Justin Ross game, but we might start to see that collective depth of Clemson come onto the field and try to stretch LSU's depth. Yep. Remember, last year at this time was when everyone kind of found out about Justin Ross. He exactly. was a true freshman. Exactly. Uh, yes. And so th- this could be the situation. To me, I thought op- early on for Ohio State, the kid Garrett Wilson, the true freshman receiver, uh, he kind of he came on, made I that big catch on the sideline. I love this aspect of bowl games yeah. too, because it's the whole chess match. You have two or three weeks to kind of prepare, yep. and you want to throw some wrinkles at them that they haven't seen. So that means. Freshmen, five stars, guys that maybe haven't played, this is your opportunity. We're going to manufacture some touches to you. Yep. They're not ready for it, but we know you have some ability. You're not really uh, ready right now to be a full-time player. There's a lot of you know, uh, seniority in front of you, but it doesn't mean these guys like a Frank Ladson or Joseph Nada can't step up in a national championship game and uh, make some big plays. Uh, this time, you know, we'll say uh, 11 months ago, everyone was saying, oh, Justin Ross, he should go play in the XFL. He should play in the AAF because he's ready for the league right now. Right. Obviously, we haven't seen that. Produ- like These guys need this uh, need this time to, to continue developing, but um, excited to see some and of these in that same freshmen. conversation, this might not be a Jamar Chase-Justin Jefferson game. Might not be. This might be a Thaddeus Moss game. Yep. Which, Big touchdown this past no week. No question. And I know Foster Moreau with the Oakland Raiders is sitting there like, <laughs> now we want to feature the tight end position. He would have been a first-round pick. If he now we're getting them. the tight end down the seam and yep. stretching them vertically. Where yep. was this when I was here? Which right. Joe Brady's doing a great job in uh, really getting everybody involved. The backs and the tight ends especially who yeah. really weren't involved in the pass game. Yeah, uh, One guy I felt was just a little bit underwhelming overall. Now, I should say underwhelming because they were in position to win this game. Um, I think Justin Fields had a few plays that he'd probably like to have back going yeah. back in film study, you know, and watching. Um, you know, I think that the mental processing end of it, he left he left some throws on the field, certainly. Uh, took some bad sacks, especially down close to the goal line. Uh, there were just some missed opportunities there, um, you know, where he just kind of played outside of structure and yeah. couldn't, couldn't make the big plays. But he's a young kid. I mean, true sophomore coming back. He'll have his junior year next year. We'll see what he can do with this receiving And at the end of the day, did enough to win the game. No doubt. And I think that's a great sign for him to build off of and just clean up all the lack of efficiency stuff, the bad sacks, things like that, the the communication with the receivers. He has all the ability. Now it's just cleaning up and polishing his game. And you love that he came, he played through this because you know he's still banged up from that knee injury that he suffered a few weeks back. And he hasn't played a whole lot of football. He's not. This This is one of his more meaningful games that he's ever been in in his uh, his life. And I thought he lived up to the moment and I thought did enough for his team to win. Yeah, and honestly, that's why to me, like I think a lot of Ohio State fans will say, "Oh, you know this this penalty and the 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 fumble that should have counted." They were in position to win this game. They no had question. the ball on the forty yard yeah. line with ninety seconds yeah. left. Like that was there. It was there from the win, and they had other opportunities before that. They could have cap. They could have put the put their foot on Clemson's throat early in the game by capitalizing the red zone. Um, you know, it was more than just you know this penalty and that penalty. Now I have no emotional allegiance to really any college team, especially sure. these two teams. Right. Yep. So when you see the targeting and you see the the call with the fumble getting reviewed, I don't really care. Right. It's like, you want to call it great, not call it great. I'm not tweeting about it. I'm not emotional about it. I'm just watching you're the like, game. You're, you are this way regardless. The more, yes. the more you just assume refs, judgment, part of the game, I'm much 
I'm a much happier fan, a much yep. happier viewer, and just kind of accepting, not accepting poor officiating, but just accepting that judgment is part of the game. Yep. Um, you know, and, and it happens, and one play is never going to make the difference. Yep. And most of the time, the refs get it right. And, you know, even the more egregious ones that they miss, like a Saints-Rams one, they get that 99.9% of the time, man. You know, no. they have a tough job, and, and that's part of the game. That's, I mean, that's the, no question. Right? Yeah. And to me, it's like you said, it, it rarely comes down to that play or right. that, those two plays, uh, which I don't think was the case there. Right. But, uh, Ben, this was, uh, this was fun, man. We're gonna, we'll, next week we'll get together. We'll talk more about the national title game. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about the Shrine game because that's a couple weeks from now. But, I don't uh, like the two weeks off to the championship game. I know. It loses a little Dude, steam. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Clemson, <laughs> they need it. Yeah, <laughs> they need it after that one. They need it after that healthy. But yeah, LSU, yeah. they're like, oh, we're, we're ready. We can go, we can go now. But uh, Clemson, after that dogfight, they're, right. uh, they're ready. Those games are so good in the, in the semifinal. I feel like you want to continue that steam and right. the excitement of fans. It's like the Super Bowl. I hate the two weeks yep. kind of separating that in the conference championship. Let's let's go. Let's keep the rhythm. Let it build. Let it build. Uh, Ben, we'll talk to you here next week on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Thanks for joining us once again. Great stuff from Ben. As always, you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. He's outstanding. He helps us with everything that we do here from an X and O standpoint. He helps me immensely with the Eagle Eye in the Sky, with Eagles game plan this week. Doug Peterson uh, on the show once again, breaking down some film. It's the only place you can get the Super Bowl winning head coach breaking down the All-22. So make sure you go check that out uh, over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles YouTube page, the Eagles mobile app uh, as well. So Ben Fennel doing an outstanding job as always. All right. Let's now get into our big guest this week. That's Lance Zerline from NFL.com. He's going to break down some of the top players that he's excited about. Again, very early in the process, but let's get to who he's who's caught his eye here in Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Always happy to welcome back to the Journey to the Draft podcast, a friend of the show, Lance Zerline. You can find his work over at NFL.com, obviously over at NFL Network as well. Lance, welcome back to the show, my man. Hey, it's great to be here, Fran. How you doing? I'm uh, doing wonderful, man. Uh, happy New Year to you. Uh, let's start things off here talking about uh, some of the big bowl games, obviously, over the past week of action. Uh, we had New Year's Day games yesterday. We had the college football playoff, a bunch of games over the weekend. We know about Joe Burrow. We talked earlier about the legendary performance from him, and, and obviously uh, it seems like he has cemented himself into that first overall slot. But outside of Joe Burrow, who is a guy that really has helped himself with what he's done over the last week of action? I think one of his teammates, Caleb on has hmm. really helped himself. I'm going to go back really to the last three games because I don't know that it's going to be one game that does it. But um, I think the way Chason has played – relative to the beginning of the year where, you know, I thought he just kind of ran straight into guys, really didn't look like he had as much rush. And then what he's done, and you can make this case for the entire LSU defense, really, but because they're a different defense now than they had been for much of the year. But I think Chason has really helped himself with NFL evaluators who, you know, he already had the body type, the long levers, and now he's starting to put some production together and he's starting to look like an impactful rusher. So I think he's a player that has really helped himself, at least in my opinion. He's really um, he's really popped and made a difference. And I think Etienne mm. as well. You know, he hasn't he hasn't said he's I don't know if he's I don't think he's made it official that he's coming out, but I know most uh, scouts believe that he's coming out. And I think he's another guy that his ability out of the backfield, especially in the last game, you know, you, you start as an evaluator, you start to see it and then you say, oh, you know what? We can compare him to this guy or that guy, or we can see him making an impact 
in this way for us outside of just being a running back. So I think, I think maybe uh, Travis Etienne has helped himself as well. Yeah, it's showing that instant speed in the open field. I mean, not, not a lot of guys in this class uh, have that kind of juice. I want to ask you, so you started off with Chase on, and I want to ask you about a guy who plays a similar kind of role and a similar kind of scheme. Uh, I saw you tweeting out some love uh, for Wisconsin's outside linebacker, Zach Bond. Some guys or some people think that he could slide inside at the next level. Uh, I have not done Bond yet. He's going to be down at the senior ball, so I'm excited to get your thoughts. What is it that you like most about him and how he transitions to the next level? Well, I, I like that he's diverse, mm. and I do agree with the fact that he has the type of athleticism, the type of twitch, and I think the type of instincts to where he can play inside as well. In a 3-4, I, I don't know about 4-3, that's a little different, but you know, I think in a 34 next to another linebacker, I think you could play him as a 4-3 uh, Will. I think you can play him as a 4-3 Sam, as a 3-4 stand-up rush backer on on third downs, I think there's a chance he can be an under undersized three four uh, edge that can you know really get after people on the rush. Or you can basically say, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna use him as a four three outside backer, and then on rush downs and sub packages, we're gonna we're gonna put him on the edge. I think you can move him around as a blitzer. You know, I, I love the diversity. I love the athleticism. There's a lot of guys who can come forward fluidly and bend and rush the passer, but it's rare that those same guys can drop in space with the kind of fluidity laterally that he has. So he's going to be a rare movement type of athlete in this year's draft with the way that he moves forward, backward, laterally. Mm. Um, he has ball skills as well in, in open, you know, in, in the open field in terms of zone and even man to man. And I think he's just scratching the surface of what he can be as a rusher. Mm. He's got a really good bend and you know rip and flatten to the quarterback but once he's taught how to use his hands once he's taught a better inside counter i'm projecting the athlete and projecting the edge speed and projecting the versatility because i think what we're going to find on the next level is you're going to see a team unleash his potential not just from a versatility standpoint which i thought wisconsin did a pretty good job of but also from a skill standpoint really coaching him up and developing his rush talent yeah, he, he's a guy that uh, obviously flat. I remember watching the the opener against USF on TV, and uh, he's making plays left and right, kind of putting you know got things off uh, on the right foot to start the season, and has just done nothing but make plays throughout the course of the year. So I'm excited to dive deeper into his film. I want to ask you every time I have guests on, I always like hearing about who they feel most passionate about. Who are the guys that they feel like they would pound the table for if they were in draft rooms and, and really felt passionate about? We need to get this guy into our building. Who's a guy on offense? start who's an offensive player that you feel like you know i would pound the table for this guy uh i you know i've got a few right now and, and remember i'm still 193 players in but there's still a lot of uh really good players to sure. go for me to, to take a look at as i'm i'm you know i'm i'm sitting back on some of them because i want to see t higgins against lsu's corners and vice versa and yep. so there's some things like that but i would say you know i would say for one jedrick wills okay. is is one the right right tackle for Alabama. I think he's got a chance to be a really good tackle or guard in this year's NFL draft. And he is going to be a first round tackle, but I would pound the table because I think he is going to be a really, really good player 
um, on the next on on the next level. A really good player. And I think Harrison Bryant, the tight end from yeah. Florida Atlantic, is another guy on the offensive side of the ball because I think he's a he's a solid blocker. He's a really good wide receiver in terms of his ability as a pass catcher. I don't call him a tight end. I mean, I think he's a big wide receiver. But he's a big wide receiver who can block. And most of those guys don't really have the stomach to block, but he does. And that's one of the things that that I really like about him. And so I'm hearing evaluators already tell me behind the scenes they think it's a weak tight end draft. But he's a guy that I feel very passionately about as an early second rounder. And I think, uh, you know, maybe even if he works out well, he sneaks up higher than that. So he's a guy I would probably uh, pound the table for from an offensive standpoint because I think he's – I think he's got a chance to end up being um, a big impact playmaker at a position that a lot of scouts aren't real excited about this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I watched him a few, well, a couple months back when he first got announced for the Senior Bowl, and I, I was really, really impressed with his ability uh, to play out in space, make plays after the catch. It's a big play league, uh, and at that position, we're seeing guys come out each and every year that have that kind of skill set that can impact the game. And, and like you said, he's got, you know, he's got the, the the stomach to go and, and make some plays at the point of attack as well as a blocker. Let's go to defense. Is there a guy defensively that uh, obviously still early in the process, but one that's kind of caught your eye that you know you feel really Really, really passionately about. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm a little behind on defense. I've looked at a lot of offensive linemen and mm. skill position guys so far um, on the offensive side. I've looked at defensive linemen. You know, I was a fan of Marvin Wilson's, but he's going back right. to college, which which is fine because I think Derek Brown made himself a lot of money this year. But I tell you, there was a guy who really, really popped on tape for me, an underclassman, and this really gets to probably sleeper slash pound the table it probably covers both at least on the defensive side and that would be a meek robertson from louisiana Ooh. tech okay i haven't gotten he him is yet. yeah he is i had someone reach out to me when he was thinking about going out he said hey do you have an opinion and i said no i haven't even watched him i don't even know who he is and he ended up and i looked at his size he had great production i looked at his size and i said you know he's a little undersized to be an outside corner at about 5'9, 185 and they said well that you know the feeling in his camp is that he's not going to be a different size. He's got over 20 tackles for loss as a cornerback mm. and frequently an outside cornerback. That is, you don't see that with, with most, um, I want to say it's 28 career tackles for loss at cornerback. That's insane. And I haven't even gotten into his past production, which is 14 uh, career interceptions in three years. And he's got like 49 passes defense. Wow. So I'm like, okay, well, the numbers are super incredible, but, you know, level of competition, yada, yada. I watched him stack up really well against Colin Johnson and the big cornerbacks from University of Texas. He is a dog. He is tough. He is physical. He does not let you off the line of scrimmage easily. He is very physical and run support. He has extremely – he has high-end ball all skills and instincts, and he is a good athlete. I think the only question you have is, okay, he's not big enough to be an outside corner. How does he handle the slippery route runners that he's going to see inside from the slot? And that's mm. going to be the knock and the concern. But for me, I feel like he's athletic enough to handle that, and he, he can take care of the run-stop duties from the, from the nickel. He's no different than Dante Robinson was to me. Dante was a okay. bigger guy and probably faster when he came out. That's also why he was a first-rounder. But I think Amik Robertson is a guy to keep your, your eye on as an underclassman who just makes a ton of plays on the ball. 
and I'm not as worried about his size because he is very strong. He's very physical, and I just think what he does is going to translate to the next level. Uh, it's uh, a guy that I have not gotten to. I know he was a finalist on a number of lists, and he was uh, certainly has declared for the draft. Excited to dig deeper uh, into his film. Lance, appreciate the time here, as always, on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. We will catch up with you uh, down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl for sure, my man. Lance is always great. Love catching up with him. He's been on the Journey of the Draft podcast a number of times. He uh, broke down. He was actually a guy who broke news. I remember this was a couple of years ago. One of my favorite moments uh, ever on the Journey of the Draft that when the Eagles traded up from 13 to 8 back in 2016, that, oh, the Eagles aren't done. They're going to make a move. They're going to get to the top two. They're targeting Carson Wentz out of North Dakota State. Uh, he did that right on the show. It was outstanding. So uh, Lance Arline, always a great follow. Make sure you go follow him uh, on Twitter. And speaking of Carson Wentz, we talked about uh, his performance, what he's done down the stretch here, and really what faces him in his first ever playoff game this Sunday. We talked about that over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, uh, fueled by Gatorade with Greg Cosell. So make sure you go check that out wherever podcasts can be found. All right, let's now get into draft buzz. It's time to catch up with our pal, Tony Pauline. Now it's time for draft buzz. Happy to welcome back to the show for Draft Buzz, our friend Tony Pauline. You can follow him on Twitter, at Tony Pauline, from all the, the work that he does over at the Pro Football Network. Tony, uh, welcome back. Happy New Year to you, sir. Hope you had a great holiday season. Uh, let's let's jump right in. Who, who, what's, give us some uh, something off the presses here that you're excited to share uh, in our Draft Buzz uh, through the grapevine here. Well, I mean, we're all on pins and needles waiting for uh, uh, Tua Vela to make his decision. I, I mean... I've never seen so many times where a guy made announcements that he's got nothing to announce. Uh, as right. we've seen, it, it's a little bit over the top. And obviously, Monday is uh, is the day. I, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I heard from the beginning that he was leaning towards entering the draft. I had heard early in the process, immediately after his injury, he was leaning towards entering the draft. And the things I heard last week as far as how he's setting up his representation and the way he may uh, basically form the agencies and he's not going to hire one agent – tends to tell me he's leaning still towards entering the draft. It sounds to me like he's very undecided. And if he's yeah. undecided, he might as well wait till January 20th. Uh, I'm wondering why he's, he's decided that he's going to make the announcement on Monday, January 6th. I'm wondering if there's some sort of consultation with a doctor or a specialist on his hip that he wants to get more confirmation on something before he makes his decision. Uh, I, I mean, it's it, it it it's it's strange and it's kind of taken a life of its own when it really, I think, doesn't need to. I wonder if the the impact that it would have on the receivers down there, you know, like if, if Tua said, oh, he's going back. How does that impact Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, like the rest of that group, Jedrick Wills, like all those guys? If they say, all right, well, Tua's coming back. We're making another run at this in 2020. Uh, does that impact some of those other guys that are down there? Maybe that's why, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of thinking, let me make this announcement early so I can give those guys a fair shake in terms of what their decisions are. Could be. I mean, that's what happened with Clemson two years ago. If you sure. remember, it was just about this point in time two years ago where I announced or I reported the story that all those three guys, in fact, it was four of them with Austin Bryant, were going to return to Clemson to make one more run at the national title. So I think that's a that's a legitimate opinion. It may be that I think that he would tell them in confidence. Yeah. I mean, he could tell them right now. He could have told them last week, you know, listen, I'm going to stay. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. This is the way I'm leaning. Uh, so, you know, they could uh, basically form their own opinions. Uh, as far as the other guys are concerned, I think Jerry Judy's got to leave. I, mm -hmm. I, I see really 
and maybe if he wants to win a national championship, but I, I see no benefit in Jerry Judy returning for another year uh, at Alabama. One other thing that really needs to be brought out is a couple of weeks ago at, at Pro Football Network, I had said that what I was hearing was Nick Saban was trying to talk a lot of these underclassmen to come back to Alabama because the word he was getting and the feedback he was getting from the NFL were these uh, were that these guys were not going to go as high as right. uh, you know they were predict or people on the outside were projecting. That report has since been confirmed. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know if it was by Schefter or somebody else who basically said the only player who's getting a top 15 grade is Tua. All the other guys are, are basically projected by the NFL to go much later than what people right now are prognosticating. So, I, I mean, that's an interesting dynamic also as to why maybe some of those guys may return. Yeah, we, we are, have already gotten confirmation from the talented linebacker Dylan Moses that he is going back to Alabama. Obviously, he missed the year with the ACL injury. The other part of it too, Tony, that I feel like could have an impact on this is, you know, Tua, I know he's got a national, he's got a ring, he's got a national title. He came in at halftime in that game. To me, like, I, I wonder if this kid is motivated. Number one, of course, the college experience and all that, but I want to go and I want to win a title for my own and say, like, this was my team that I led to a national title. I want to finish what I started uh, a couple of years ago. They lost to Clemson in 2018. Obviously fell short this year, uh, especially with him and the injury. Uh, to me, I think that there's something that could be said about that as well. Could be, but then again, the guy's never stayed healthy. Yeah, I mean, so I if he does go back, you know, it was ankle injuries, it was other injuries. Now he's got a, a major hip yep. issue. Uh, it, you know, he's got a major, major hip issue, and that could be all well and good. But if he goes back and he gets injured again, I, I mean, he's gonna drop. He's gonna drop like a rock. Yeah, I mean, he had like the thumb injury, the one spring ball. He's had soft tissue stuff. He's had ankle. He's had knees. Had hip. I mean, it's right. a it's a long list of things for sure. Um, all right, well, let's uh, let's talk about some of the things that uh, have happened over the last week in college football. Who are some players that, in your mind, have really really helped their stock over the course of the last week of action? Well, I don't think I, I don't buy into the fact that because a guy has a great bowl game, he's really going to jump up draft boards. Yeah. I look at Hakeem Butler a year ago uh, during the Texas Bowl; he was fantastic, uh, incredible. I was projecting him as a first round pick. I never did, and the guy falls into the fourth round. But I think there were some performances to take to take note of. Okay. Obviously, first you got to start with Tyler Johnson in Minnesota. Sure, twelve receptions for two hundred four yards, two TDs against what is a talented Auburn secondary. And I mean, he was the guy; they could not stop him. Uh, Overall, the Minnesota offense really did well, and I think Minnesota's really coached well. But I think the Tyler Johnson uh, performance yesterday was some, was, is a talking point. It, it, it's something that is going to help him and, and something that teams who you know, are looking at him now as a last-day pick, you know, if he runs well, maybe he jumps into the second day of the draft. I think so, Tony, are you, are you shocked that he's not going to the Senior Bowl? Sort of. I, I still think there's a chance he could go to the senior bowl. You got to. I'm not shocked because I always had him as a last day pick. Yeah. I mean, there were people who, who were saying top 45. Second there are some people there. that really, really like him. Yep. I, 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 I always had him in that fifth, sixth round area coming into the season. Now he's a fourth rounder on my board, mm. and you know he's got to run super fast. I think to, uh, to to jump into the second day of the draft. And remember, the draft is just the beginning; it's not the end. I think Tyler Johnson's going to be a very good receiver at the next level. I just don't think a guy that's got average size and average speed. It, you know, commands a high pick in the NFL draft, and I think that's what the situation was with Johnson. Am I surprised? Not really, because this is what I had projected all along, mm. as did scouts. Remember, he right. came into the year graded as a six-round pick by NFL scouts, and there are a lot of other good receivers out there. 
Uh, who's a, who's another guy that you feel has really helped himself? I thought Jake Fromm played incredibly well yesterday. When you look at the fact he didn't have three offensive linemen, including those two talented offensive tackles, you look at the fact his top receiver was not in the game. You look at the fact DeAndre Swift, you know, dressed for the game, but I think what he carried the ball one time. Yeah. You look at how poorly Jake Fromm played during the last month and a half in the season, and for him to go out twenty of thirty passing, two hundred fifty yards, two TDs. Really to, from the get-go, to get that Georgia team, which I thought was going to lose the game, off the snide the way he did. Uh, I think I still think Jake Fromm is a last-day pick, but I think if he enters the draft, basically he's entering on a high note. I think when all things were considered, I thought Baylor would be really uh, pumped up to play. I thought that they would really want to make a statement considering the way they lost to Oklahoma, the way they are likely to lose their head coach to the NFL. Didn't turn out that way. I thought Jake Fromm, to his credit, had an outstanding game yesterday. Yeah, he's a guy. Do you do you feel that he will go back for a senior year, or do you think he comes out? I've always kind of looked at Fromm as a guy that could potentially go back for his senior season. That's why, I, honestly, I haven't I haven't even done him yet. I didn't do him over the summer just because I always kind of assumed he was the kind of guy that would go back for that fourth year. Uh, you know, I, it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation right. with him. If he goes back, you know, he's missing DeAndre Swift. He's missing two outstanding offensive tackles. Lawrence Cager, who he only had for one year, and he didn't even have him for the full year, yeah. is gone. You're, you're almost starting from scratch. But the fact is, is listen, I like Jake Fromm. I think he's a solid college quarterback. I just don't think he projects all that well to the next level. I, mm. I think he's a number two quarterback who's a guy that, even if he has a great year, I, I think he's a last eight pick. He's got average size. He's got a decent, doesn't have a great arm. He's not a, a quarterback that's going to carry a team on the, on his shoulders the way we saw Joe Burrow this year. His accuracy gets away from him. You know, you'll see when, when you watch him on film, he'll have one or two really good passes, and then he'll have two or three passes where they're all over the place. The receiver can't make the catch, or the receiver's wide open. He's got to break stride or, or reach backwards or leave his feet to make the reception. Uh, I mean, he's a good college quarterback. As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't project all that well to the next level, regardless of whether he stays another year or not. Yeah, one guy certainly they're hoping they can kind of build around in that passing game is the kid George Pickens, the freshman receiver. Uh, ben and I talked earlier about some of these freshman wideouts uh, in the playoffs that potentially could make some plays here down the stretch. Pickens uh, showing off in the Sugar Bowl, good way to kind of go into his sophomore season uh, in 2020. Tony, anything else here before we head out? Anybody, any other players? Who, who, what else is on your mind here as we go into really? I mean, we're kind of in the home stretch, I guess. You know, we've got the playoff or the the, the championship game is a week from Monday. The Shrine game is that week, so. We're, gonna, we're kind of getting into what's officially now draft season for two-thirds of the NFL. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Jerry Judy was fantastic yesterday with Matt yeah. Jones, the quarterback. Uh, I, I mean, I knew going into the game, Michigan had good defensive backs who were not good receivers, and I just wondered how they were going to able to contain or slow down the speed of the Alabama receivers, and they didn't. I mean, six receptions, 204 yards, one TD. He is the big play threat. He is a home run hitter. He is a guy who going to line up in the slot the next level. You're going to use them to uh, return kicks. Uh, I mean, that speed was apparent, and, and that's why Alabama is consistently at the top, and, and Michigan is consistently losing games, whether it be Ohio State, whether it be bowl games, because while they've got good football players, they don't have good athletes, which Jerry Judy is. I think if he enters the draft, which I think he's going to do, 
He's going to be an early pick. I don't think he's a top four or five pick like people are saying. I think he probably squeezes into that area between picks eight to 12. Okay. Uh, but he definitely has that big time speed and he's a game changer at the receiver position. Yeah, I was going to ask you because there are some people that feel like he could be more of a, you know, kind of like what happened, um, you know, with uh, with Amari Cooper, uh, or not with, with Calvin Ridley a couple of years ago where we kind of thought he'd be top 15, top 10, and then he fell to the late teens, early 20s uh, that some people think that. That could happen with Judy, but uh, as you mentioned, you feel like he'll go in that eight to twelve range. Well, there's some people who think he's going to be a top five pick, yeah, and right. I, I yep. don't think that's going to happen at all. Uh, you know, obviously, with a guy like that, you want to see what he actually runs. You want to see how legit that speed is. You want to see the co- the three cone time and the shuttle times and, and everything else. But I think right now, between picks eight to twelve, is a good spot for him. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Tony, uh, appreciate the time. A couple weeks here, we'll we'll be seeing you face-to-face. Appreciate the time, as always, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Thanks for having me again. Outstanding stuff there from Tony. Now we've got a question from you at home. Let's let's wrap this show, show up now with Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so as always, I'm going to start it off every time we do Draft Mailbag. Best way to support the show. We love everybody that shares it on Twitter and on Facebook and everywhere, and we comment on YouTube and stuff like that. But the best way to give us your support is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. And I want to give a shout-out to someone who left a question. Benjamin on Apple Podcasts, who are the running backs that could match well to the Eagles and what they've got with guys like Miles Sanders and Boston Scott? So good question there, Benjamin. Um, you know, To me, I'm going to go with the seniors that I've studied so far, guys, that uh, will definitely be in this class. I'm going to start things off with Zach Moss. You know, I think he's a guy that I see a lot of Jordan Howard traits there with Zach Moss. He's a very physical downhill runner. He's got a feel for making people miss with his contact balance. And I just love how decisive he is when he's going, you know, shoulder shoulder pads square to the line of scrimmage and getting downhill. That is Zach Moss to a T. So I think he can kind of fit that kind of a role at the next level. My assumption is that he's going to be in that day two range. He was a little bit banged up this year, but overall has been durable. This is a guy that uh, is really, really fun to watch on tape. I really like Zach Moss out of Utah. A couple guys that, uh, that I've watched recently that I really like. Benny LeMay uh, from Charlotte is a guy who's a little bit short, but he's well put together. He's got some short area burst. He can break off some long runs, but I like him a lot in pass protection, and he can get downhill and be physical as well. So I like Benny LeMay. He's going to the Shrine Bowl, which is in a couple weeks down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then LaMichael Pirine uh, from Florida, another guy, another Florida kid who, again, very physical and instinctive downhill. He's got some burst and some quickness to be able to pull away as well, and he's good in pass protection. So very similar to Benny LeMay in a lot of ways. He's going to the senior bowl. Pirine is a guy, look, NFL bloodlines, you know, we remember his cousin Samaje uh, when he came out of Oklahoma a couple of years ago, but uh, LaMichael is a very interesting player. I liked him last year as well uh, with the Gators. He's a guy that I think can come in uh, and certainly play a role in an NFL backfield. More of a committee type back, but a guy that certainly can play a role. So three guys I think can offer you some value between the tackles. Also certainly some pass protection as well that I think could mend well uh, or pair well with Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, with what the Eagles have here. Obviously a lot of backs. Every year there's a ton of backs that enter the NFL draft from the junior ranks, but I picked three seniors and we'll see, uh, you know, how these guys fare in the all-star circuit. All right. Ton we covered here on the show this week on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Next week, we'll be previewing what, we, what we're going to see in the national title game, Clemson versus LSU, as well as previewing the action for the East-West Shrine Bowl, which will be the week after that. So make sure you tune in next week here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.